0: This is the Investing Power Hour, number 42, closing in on the one-year anniversary in a few months here. My name is Brett Schaefer, and I'm here with Ryan Henderson. As always, I do not have our script loaded up for the entry or the introduction to the show, so I'm just going to wing it, but uh, this show, what even is it? We come up with news items. We riff we anything riff on and stuff. everything. We I got have, some good stuff. Yeah, we have some fun stuff today. And we might not do everything. And it might go totally off the rails into other stuff that whatever we want to talk about. But it's just going to be investing-focused, finance-focused, business-focused. It goes live on YouTube every Thursday. You can watch the replays on YouTube or, as the majority of you do, listen on the podcast, which releases Sunday mornings.
1: Let me Brian. also add something. If you're listening to this right now and you want to be a viewer or you want to ask questions and we just do it at a really shitty time because we do this at like four o'clock on the West coast on Thursdays, you know, most people are probably busy at that point. Try to reach out to us, whether it's email, chitchatmoneypodcast g- at gmail.com or Twitter, whatever, and give us a time that you think would work well. Cause we're, we're, Open to input. We don't we don't have a fixed time here, uh, but we want something that uh, listeners would actually be able to tune into.
0: Exactly, it makes it fun when it's interactive. We do get a couple of people on here and some people watching the replays, but it's really fun when we get people asking questions on the topics as well. Let's hit some uh, uh, new, not news items. Uh, stuff we want to talk about before the show starts. If you're a regular listener, make sure to subscribe to our free newsletter for our not so deep dive episodes. That is the best way to keep up with the show is to subscribe to the free newsletter. It's through Substack. The link is in the show notes. Do that if you want to keep up with the episode and you're a new listener. And if you enjoy the show, give us a review on either Spotify or Apple Podcasts. That is the best way to support us besides listening. Today's episode is presented by Stratosphere, the best web-based research terminal for company-specific metrics like KPIs, segment revenues, and many other things. I can tell you for a fact, we're going to be using them for Netflix, I bet, when we cover them on their earnings report. And because they always have fascinating KPIs, we're going to take a look for my, um, <clears throat> one of my topics, the dichotomy of the tobacco companies, raising prices, lower volumes, higher margins, all that good stuff. They can really have perfect visual- visualizations here. Uh, stratosphere has clean data for kpis segment data that is triple checked for accuracy and beautiful data visualizations helping save you time and frustration digging through sec filings we use stratosphere as our investing home screen and you can too for free by going to stratosphere.io that is stratosphere.io ryan why don't you start i'm going to turn off the lights in the background because as you can kind of see they're a bit too bright but why don't you get started on the topics here
1: yeah, so uh where to begin? Microsoft laid off people, which is uh I don't we discussed this on our last we we did not, Microsoft for not so deep dive. And I know Brett you were just away from the headphones, but we I'm talking about the Microsoft layoffs. We talked about the business what 2 weeks ago roughly, and the business is operating fine. I mean, they they are doing I would say probably the best. They've pro- they're have they probably the most resilient of the big tech companies over the last year or so. Maybe not stock-wise, but performance-wise. Um, Yet yeah, they're reducing. They, they sent out a memo that said, we're planning to reduce the workforce by 10,000 employees by the end of 2023. That's roughly 5% of their staff. Um, the cuts are reportedly centered around HoloLens and Microsoft Edge. Microsoft Edge is their web browser that they're trying to
0: grow that that was an interesting one both those ones were surprising I i wouldn't have guessed that
1: the hololens i could see they're also cutting some jobs at bethesda which is one of their game studios and there was some other subsidiary that i'm not as familiar with um but it the web browser thing to me was interesting because it's an area where they had put a lot of resources and i'd seen just purely based on commentary um Internally, they seem to think that that was going to be additive to the ecosystem, but it sounds like maybe the moat around Google Chrome is just simply too much to really fight against, um, even on your own hardware products. So that would—that's kind of—I might be reading too too far into this, but if this is something where they were supposed to be investing heavily. Um, and they're pulling back or, or laying off people in that, in that area, to me, it screams they, they weren't seeing the traction that they were hoping for. Also, I know they use, we learned this today from someone, I think it was Mads Capital, which big thank you because uh, huge value add on Twitter. If, if you're in the big tech space or cloud in general, I recommend reading what he's got to say. He mentioned that Microsoft's browser search browser was powered by chromium anyways which is like the back end side of the search so it's i I think it's fair to say that kind of solidified my belief that Google's moat in search isn't going anywhere
0: um the chrome uh, the execution on chrome I think under is underrated for solidifying that moat yeah really they really they really took over the market there. What was what it, is- like 10, 15 years ago on that Chrome market share?
1: I think that's when they launched. I think I read something that had like 3 billion Chrome users MAUs, Something like that. It's pretty insane. Uh, anyway, um, the other thing I was going to mention about this, Microsoft did not need to do this. This was not a need thing. For Meta, there may maybe parts of the business where they needed to cut. Amazon, there's probably parts of the business where they needed to cut because they were hemorrhaging cash. Um, Google probably didn't need it. Apple probably didn't need it. I don't know if Apple even did it. Um, But this, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago where it's like, there's a lot of companies now that can just hide behind, well, macro problems, and then they can cut their worst performers or they can cut 5% of their staff that they, they think is kind of waste anyways. And so we, and for the last two years, we've been talking about how much bloat we think there is at probably a lot of these big tech companies. Maybe they were just waiting for the right time to reduce staff because now Micro I mean, no one cares. if Microsoft did this. If Microsoft did this two years ago, everyone would be concerned.
0: Yeah, it is. It's hard to read through the tea leaves, I think, but. Unlike some of the other tech companies, Microsoft seems to be more prudent about. Okay, we're spending this money. We're not getting the return. It doesn't. Our business is going fine, but this actual thing isn't actually isn't going that well. So we're going to cut it. Unlike Amazon, unlike Google, unlike Facebook, um, I guess Apple's a bit more secretive, so it's hard to tell. I uh, I think you got to, That's a big positive for Microsoft that they're just more prudent across things. I think. The HoloLens division may have got... Well, it definitely hasn't gotten the commercial adoption. I know they had that giant military contract that I think might be gone now. I'm not exactly sure. I, I read some headline about that. And then Microsoft Edge, maybe it just wasn't as successful. All right, we got to pull back. It's not a big deal. I mean, yeah, maybe it may be a big deal for the business, but if they're not seeing the success, you're, you're not gonna just going to throw good money after bad over and over and over, kind of like we've seen with... Amazon with Alexa over the years, uh, Alphabet has done that plenty of times. I can't think of any examples right now. And then Meta, <laughs> more recently, which is the one people have been talking about for the last year. Why there's don't? A, and, there's and a couple of
1: comments that okay. basically say uh, kind of the I, I think the same sort of sentiment we were trying to express, which is uh, someone says they, they fired the rotten apples that we hired, that they hired during the pandemic that weren't productive. Everybody will start firing rotten apples. Great timing to do so. yeah, I think you're right. I'm guessing I think you're
0: you're doing that in all environments, though, but maybe it was exacerbated because of the the remote hiring.
1: Yeah. The other part that I wanted to take away from this is they they said they expect a ten thousand person reduction in the workforce. So by the end of 2023, that's not saying they're going to fire 10,000 and then replace them with 10,000 new employees that they think are higher performers. They're they're actually reducing the workforce. Um, I don't know, but people weren't doing it at the same magnitude over the last two
0: years. Of the layoffs? Yeah, I think maybe, okay, here's what I meant, is that you're generally, what did he call it, getting rid of the rotten apples that aren't productive. I think generally most companies are doing that, but maybe the tech companies, because growth was so strong. Everything was so profitable. They didn't need to do that. And now we're getting into a point where they're more mature and we just got to be more... Um, like They got they just, they just got to be a bit more efficient. Uh, but wh- why don't we go to Netflix earnings? Because I know we talk about layoffs a lot. I was
1: about to say, I feel like we talk uh, that's about the, tech layoffs every week.
0: Yeah. And I know people don't want to just hear that over and over again. I'm going to load up their investor relations page.
1: Yeah, it was a share the good screen. I, don't,
0: I didn't. I, I just glanced at it, so maybe we can kind of do a live look. I read bleeding. the shareholder
1: letter already. It was. Uh, I mean, it's good. Reed Hastings is is moved on, I guess, to executive chairman. Oh, really? Yeah. I the last last bullet point there: Ted Sarandos and Greg Peters are now the co CEOs. Um, it sounds like from the rest of the commentary in the shareholder letter that. That was already how they were operating internally and now they're just finally announcing it to the public um but i think the big things here the big takeaways for me at least membership growth was really strong and i thought their content and my personal and this is subjective i thought their content slate sucked and yet they had a really good uh membership additions this quarter also the ad supported tier seems to have been pretty successful at least in terms of just the launch. I know there there's Did they more, give
0: any numbers on the ad offering?
1: I don't think they I didn't look through any of the tables that in depth, but at the bottom they were like they mentioned that they think it's uh as high value as their f- ad-free offering and then um,
0: I don't think there I, I kind of think, think if they didn't give any maybe it's too early because it, it hasn't been very long I kind of think if they don't have any numbers on the ad thing they haven't done a press release you know how the Netflix always leaks stuff to the press release if they're, going, they're doing well or excuse me they always leak stuff to the press if they're doing well I kind of think the advertising thing might be the advertising tier might not be as successful as they they're making it out to be because we would they would have bragged about a number if they hit a number.
2: Uh maybe.
1: I would. Uh, yeah, I guess you could be right. Just because it's not some sort of a competitive secret, like they're not trying to hide how well they're doing with it, because pretty much every other service on streaming is already ad supported in some capacity. Um, but. I don't, maybe they'll give some, some numbers on the conference call. I don't really know. The, the other part, um, this kind of page sharing, I don't know how they're going to roll that out, but I I mean, consumers are no longer going to get a free lunch in terms of uh, being able to mooch accounts, which will be unfortunate for me. Um, That
0: that should be accretive, though. It might, their, their number of, you definitely say their vol hour or volume of, whatever listening hours going down but it could definitely uh, that's got to be helpful for for subs one thing i see here is in 2023 they expect 3 billion dollars in free cash flow uh, at current fx uh foreign exchange rates what do you think about that it seems like they're the only one that's profitable now which is quite interesting it's flipped over the last few years
2: i mean what's the uh
0: what are they at today they were 1.6 billion Last well, I, think year. That,
1: I think that whatever the Netflix moniker is is out the window.
0: Yeah, it's more of a valuation game here and a future growth game. Right. Yeah,
2: my thing is, I still think they're probably close to saturation. I think growth is, I'm guess it in terms of just pure member growth. I would guess that it's going to be low
1: single digits over the next five years annually. Um, so kind of how are they going to drive revenue beyond that? That's kind of what I was getting in reading through this was they're pulling a lot of different levers, both with the ad supported tier and the page sharing stuff. And then the international expansion as well.
0: Um, now I think they would counter by looking at this chart right here. And I, 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 I tend to agree with you, but they have the share of viewing for just TV Uh, worldwide in December, 2022. In the U S they're at approximately 8% and it looks like all streaming. What does that number say? Maybe 35% Ryan, something like that, 35, 40%. And then the rest is still linear. And the big question is, does linear completely die? What do you think?
1: I think there's still a lot of people that are linear accounts that have
2: Netflix.
0: Like, well, no, no, this is just viewing hours.
2: Oh, um I don't know.
1: I, I think the US is probably pretty mature. Like in terms of I, I think that's probably where they're gonna stay. Really? I would Do you really think I mean, yeah, there's yeah, well if you look at
0: the if you look at younger people, it's definitely excuse way that that's way different than what it is in this chart.
1: Yeah, well, maybe, but it's it's uh I mean yes less time spent on linear, but it's way more competitive now too. Like YouTube, YouTube TV, HBO, like I'm I'm kind of talking anecdotally, but way less time in my experience is spent on Netflix these days than maybe I spent a year ago
2: or two years ago.
0: No, I agree. What do you think of the YouTube competition? That's I think the big question for Netflix.
2: Yeah. I
1: think between YouTube and YouTube TV, I mean, they already have, if I'm not mistaken, the uh, greater percentage of, of time spent or engagement. So it's, I don't- It's I pretty mean, close. Yeah,
0: it's about the same on CTV. Yeah. And what percentage of
1: account, uh, households in the US have moved to streaming over linear? I think it's more than 50%. Obviously, there's still yeah. some low-hanging fruit, but I don't- Well, here's a concerning I just look at thing. this and think like, Go ahead. Members are gonna grow. members are going to grow at a low rate, would be my thought.
0: Yeah. And they, they, they've succeeded on, a, on ARPU, average revenue per user. But here's something that kind of concerns me in the quarter. Because they I forget what the number was, but they were bragging about, or not bragging, obviously, they talk about the, uh, the number of subscribers that grew uh, globally year over year. But if you look at UCAN, which is just North America, the paid memberships were seventy five point two million in Q four last year. This year, it's down to seventy four point three million. And yeah, it's up quarter over quarter. But and ARPU grew ten percent. But I wonder.
2: That's what I mean. It's, I mean, yeah, that's kind
0: I, of what I'm I just saying want it, like, yeah, like yeah. I think it's just gonna- it it hasn't shown up in the financials yet, but it might in the next few years.
1: I think the majority of revenue growth from here on out is gonna is not going to come from member growth,
2: or at it's least well, gonna, it's going to those- come
1: from finding either new ways to monetize ad supported, and maybe maybe that change the math's going to change with the ad supported tier because you'll get members that are like, well, maybe they're not lower ARPU, but they're lower, they think they are. So I guess, well, I guess then maybe member growth is. I don't see our. I don't see the ad-supported tier being that prominent in the U.S. It's probably more for the international markets. But they got to find new ways to drive it other than just purely having good content and signing up new subscriptions because it's a way more competitive market than
0: it was three years ago. And the advertising thing again, we talk about YouTube and how it's really grown time spent on CTV over the last what would you say four or five years, Ryan. I don't have the chart in front of me. But as they go to advertising supported and as all these streamers go to advertising supported, they are converging, especially if they start doing free ad-supported TV uh, streaming channels. You're competing very heavily with YouTube at that point. But on the flip side, we look at... uh, What am I seeing here? On EMEA, which is Europe, Middle East, Africa paid memberships were up 3.2 million in the quarter. Latin America... Up almost two million, and then APAC, all almost one point eight million in the quarter. So, pretty steady growth across those areas. It's it's really the 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 North American market that's hurting them. Although we look at RPU and APAC, it's down seventeen percent year over year. Yeah,
2: I mean, I think it's still go, go to the go to the last slide. The last one or up higher? No, nope, keep going. Up higher? Nope. No, no, down, no. down, no, lower. down, down, down. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. I up, can't read. Up, up, sorry. Go to the stock performance chart that they have. Oh,
1: there. this one. All right. I think this is such a brag at the end of the call or at the end of the letter. And they do this at the end of every annual letter, but they go through it. And then they say, all right, we just put this in because we have to. Don't worry. Uh, go ahead and check out the long-term results. That is astounding cumulative results.
0: Pretty darn good execution. That's what durable revenue growth will do with good unit economics.
1: And I know this probably frustrates people that listen to the show and don't watch. So I'll explain it. This year, Netflix's, or the last one-year performance of the stock, Netflix is down 51%. NASDAQ is down 33%, and the S&P 500 was down 18 Over the last 10 years, Netflix annualized performance 36% versus S&P 500 13. So the cumulative return since IPO for Netflix, 27,422%. I mean, that is, uh, and it is, and maybe it's a different point in time, but uh, I find it funny that people still seriously question this management team.
0: Yeah. And yeah. The strategy. Yeah, well, I mean, hey, you were just questioning some of it. No, you weren't questioning the strategy. You're questioning how big they can get. But yeah, I wonder. Here's the question: What? Why the co CEOs?
1: Well, I don't know. It works. Uh, They they seem to have some sort of reason to do it internally. Um, But the other thing is, I don't think. Just for the record, I'm not questioning the management team. I just think, and they they've kind of shown this. They're gonna to have to drive revenue in new ways beyond just pure member growth. So and I think they can do it. I think this can also be profitable. They've now proven that. Um I look forward to Alex Morris's write up on as he always does. It's also always the earnings report that gets the most coverage because it's the first tech one of the season.
0: Yep, yeah, first non finance financials. What do you think about this? Should they acquire uh, whose stock is in the tank, Ubisoft, or however you pronounce it? No. $3 billion, $4 billion? It's a year of cash flow. No. I don't think so. I think it would be having the right permanent rights to Assassin's Creed would be worth much more than $3 billion just for the linear content. Yeah, they got to execute, but it could be the next, like, it could be it's just as popular as James
2: Bond, I think, on movies and TV. Essentially the same Maybe, thing. Maybe. But if they just okay. If all they bought was
1: the Assassin's Creed rights, sure. But buying Ubisoft is not just buying the Assassin's Creed rights. And I I buying that, more? Would, that would be buying a tough more. pill to swallow of saying I paid three billion dollars for the Assassin's Creed rights. I think there's well, shareholders would definitely have a problem with that. That seems like a lofty price to
2: pay
0: well they have more than just that the uh M+ i remember they being
2: have, very concerned looking at that business
0: well yeah because it's mismanaged but they got good assets the uh i i think it would be better to if they're going to spend three billion dollars on gaming i think it'd be better spent on an acquisition like that than internal why Where, because there's a lot of catch-up period to building up the culture of, uh, of a gaming content. Though, you know, we've talked about before the history of how no company that started out in linear media or, or visual or whatever TV and movies have been able to make their own game studio successful. So I kind of think you need, maybe Ubisoft is the most broken studio and has no... And, and something's really it's tough there. You know, something's really going wrong there, but they do have a long track record of building games that people like. And the merging of all this stuff I think can be very, very uh, profitable, <clears throat> but you can't, you
2: you need a, you need a, you just need the, the gaming IP to do it. Yeah. My, My gripe would be, like, I don't even know if they're really going after that market. Yeah.
1: AAA console, that might just... I would rather have them inch their way in until they see some actual traction than take a big gulp on Ubisoft
2: and potentially just destroy capital. Yeah, well, either way, they're destroying capital. If they're inching their way in with no success not nearly as much though uh, who knows i mean the I, I think probably
1: going after mobile the way they've been going after it is probably gonna lead to less value destruction than spending 4 or 5 billion to acquire a massive gaming studio that seems to be it also might just require
2: a totally different like type of manager like it's just a different business. Mm, that's a good point. I don't know. It's all I've I've like played those scenarios out in my
1: head where some big uh, gaming company gets acquired by a tra- like a traditional media format, not interactive. It sounds good in theory, but I worry about that actually happening.
0: I mean, the, yeah, because the benefits you can get from the relationship can be. You can have that just from like a licensing or partnership or relationship to have the IP to make whatever you make as visual content. You really yes. need to let them act autonomously to make their games on their own. But my thought is they could just throw out a lowball offer for Ubisoft that's really higher than the current share price. That's a whole. Ubisoft has got the family running it that might not even care. Game thing. The yeah. Game yeah. yeah. The French family. They might not even care about getting acquired. All right. Next topic. Looks like you've got dating app, uh, dating app updates. Yeah. Uh,
1: so news came out or an article came out this week, that hinge, which is a popular uh, dating app among, what is it? Gen Z technically.
0: Millennial. Gen- I millennium. would say yeah.
1: post-college, post-college single people. Um Yep. Is reportedly rolling out a $60 a month subscription. The current one, I believe, costs $35. So this is a significant price increase. Um for reference, and this is hinge. Um the average revenue per user at hinge in the third quarter of last year was $25 versus. $20 the year prior. So they'd already been slightly increasing prices. Now, if you're thinking, well, if it sells for a $35 subscription, why is it $25? They also have a lot of a la carte purchases. Um, so you can buy like extra likes for like 99 cents. I forget the exact terms on it, but it's yep, a re- la carte it, transactions.
0: Yep. And it's average revenue per paying user. So it's just anyone that's paid Average that out, before, you know, divided by all the revenue that app made.
1: My thought here. And I heard a lot of people like, people love to dunk on this stuff. Like investors are like, who would pay sixty dollars? Like a They're, lot of people,
0: like yeah, look maybe they've been
1: married for twenty years, but a lot of people would pay this money.
0: You would pay unless uh, unless you are six four and uh, well, maybe not six four. Unless you are six two and chiseled on both the on both your face and your body. Uh, it doesn't. You, you will you will likely be paying unless you want to have no matches.
1: The other thing is, okay, the bigger the platform becomes, the more valuable the subscription, so the more they can raise prices. Um, especially if you think that they're rolling it out in Europe. My thought here would be that um, the platform becomes much more valuable when it's in Germany and the UK and all the different countries, opposed suppose just one, because the subscription is more I, I say, well,
0: for young people it's it's traveling around, yeah. for y- young people traveling around the continent, you on a right. trip to Italy, right? You know, it's yeah. really, it's it's different than, yeah, that's like just going on a trip to California. The other part people. is
2: the
1: bigger the platform gets, I think the more you have to do to probably make your account stand out to have success on these apps, which often requires pain um, or Dramatically changing your looks, the easier solution in that case would be pain. Um, so, yeah, I think. And the other part is, this is the postgraduate demographic. It's not
0: Tinder. Tinder, Tinder does it, college, yeah. Main is college, yeah. Sorry, I keep interrupting. You're doing. You're saying exactly what is on my mind.
1: Tinder is probably more for the have fun crowd. I would say Hinge is more the existential crisis crowd where you're getting to the point now where dating is no longer, eh, you know, let's see what, yeah. It's <laughs> existential we, it's, crisis. I need to find something now and I'm going to pay to do it. I think there's tons of price and power on Match Group's side for Hinge.
0: Yeah. To be fair, it's not all their users, but that, that's definitely more than, yeah, if you have the, ex, the way you described it, it makes sense, the existential crisis crowd is going to go to Hinge first. Yeah, uh, they definitely have more pricing power there because you yeah, one popularity in urban areas in the United States. Most of those young professionals are going to have a lot of income coming in. The ARPU there, say, I think can be quite strong. But you yeah, also have this other note about Tinder thinking about a mega price increase to $500 a month. I know this is just rumor they're not actually launching this yet. So they may have been trying to test the waters among... Yeah people? Because I know companies like to do that, but what are your thoughts?
1: Yeah. So this was kind of thrown in that Bloomberg article as well. Match Group's apparently testing a $500 a month subscription for Tinder. Now, I just bashed people for hating on the hinge premium pricing offering. I will be the basher now. If you're spending $500 a month on Tinder, you've got to find a new hobby. There's... I Maybe there is... And obviously, they're testing this for a reason. Maybe there are people that are such serial daters on Tinder that they'll pay a ridiculous price to have it. But I think it, that's looking, crazy.
0: Yes. Well, yeah. Yeah, it is crazy. And maybe they throw out 500 for a reason. Maybe it's actually going to be slightly lower. But I think you got to look at it through the lens of the management team. Now, the management team is all from mobile gaming. And the, the initiatives they're trying out are basically to make even more a la carte purchases, which is shorter term subscriptions, which are basically a la carte, um, which I think makes sense. Say you're going on some trip for a week to somewhere you want to buy. A, so You, you, you don't want to buy a full subscription for a month. You can buy it for a couple of days. That makes sense. But also what makes the mobile gaming uh, popular is wealthy people who are fans of the game paying a ton of money uh, with what they call the whale spenders. So... I think testing this out makes sense, although in dating it might not actually work as well as in mobile gaming, But I think that's where they're coming from is they're taking that mobile gaming mindset and applying it to apps that are kind of similar to mobile gaming, but just a different sector. And that's why they're also testing advertising as well, because if Tinder is more of a if the people are spending a lot of time on Tinder. But it's a lot more casual, and maybe they're not actually serious. The advertising could work as well. So there's a lot of dynamics there. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> to be fair, we might sound bullish because, uh, as a full disclosure, the, these are stock we—it's a stock we own uh, now, and stock we might own in the future. Uh, so full disclosure.
1: I—it uh, is a
2: stock we own now.
0: The—did
2: you say it might be or it might
0: this? be one, I said it might be one we own in the future as well.
2: Yeah.
1: Anyway, yeah, I, I like that they're experimenting with all this stuff. Bernard Kim's the new CEO and he's kind of he's kind of got to prove it, I guess, to I think a lot of investors, but um I I don't see any reason why the $60 a month subscription for Hinge is
2: anything but additive to Arpu.
0: Did you see what the features would be?
2: Kind of they
1: briefly reported it in the Bloomberg article. It was stuff like um like higher promotion in people's likes, so,
0: so um, for the, yeah, so it's uh, obviously it's for guys, but
1: yeah. yeah, some people have like uh obviously a lot of likes, and you can't necessarily see all the likes unless you like, and I haven't been on the app in a while, but the way well, I that's, it's it, more
0: of a it's more of a woman problem. If, yeah, uh, basically
1: your <laughs> there's all these guys vying for the interest of women and if you pay for the subscription you get uh your like you're, gets you're, promoted it's more visible to the uh to you, the likey
0: you go to the front of the line most it's a single file line for the person it is yeah, you, you promote it to the front of the line yeah and in,
1: i think it was like better Recommendations or something like that uh, for like people that will see your profile. Basically, your I can't just be amplified
0: in general. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, we wrote on our um, I wrote it, but it's really our authorship on our match group uh, pitch thesis, uh, which you can find on our funds website. That people would pay upwards of a thousand dollars for dating if they had the money because it's such a fundamental need for humans. Uh so we'll see if we're <laughs> we'll see if we're proven right with this Tinder one. But let's move on to the next topic. Why don't we do it's the mid roll here, why don't we do a little, a little stratosphere one a little stratosphere mid roll ad that I think will be very fun to talk about. And that is Altrias well, let me share the screen here. Uh volume declines.
1: Explain what Altria for is for the people that don't
0: have. Oh right. They own Philip Morris so the largest Actually, they own Philip Morris USA, so they're the largest cigarette manufacturer in the United States with approximately 40% market share. Let me share the screen here. Again, go to stratosphere.io. It's free. Ryan, you can see that, right? For anyone listening, this is basically tracking. uh, And this is one of their KPIs things that they add on here for companies that disclose a lot of things each, each year. And as everyone's well aware of, total cigarette shipments or volumes have declined steadily over the last few decades. If we look at 2013, they were at about 100. Oh wait, here it is. 129,000. Last 12 months, we're at 87,000. And what's funny is that in 2020, well, maybe that funny, a bit depressing is <laughs> the, the the decline flatlined. Uh, which again, I know is a tough year for everyone.
1: Some, some to take the edge off.
0: Yeah, maybe of uh, maybe if people think the world's going to hell. Uh, as a lot of the perma bears out there in the finance world think. Maybe (laughs) ultra group will benefit as people get more nervous. But the big takeaway is that shipment volumes have declined 4.4% a year for the last 10 years. However, if you look at the... Let me pull up some different charts here on their income statement. If you look at their revenue... And they've had, they've actually sold off a of business. So that's why revenue is slightly down, but it would be flatlined. Uh, revenue is actually up, compounded at 2% a year. And if we look at operating income, it's compounded at, let me scroll back up there, 4.4% a year. So if we basically have volumes declining by 4.4% a year, operating income growing at 4.4% a year, obviously we're seeing margin expansion and raising prices which is a well-known phenomenon for anyone that smokes or anyone that follows these companies. Here's my question to you, Ryan. One, and we've discussed this before, one, can this dynamic of declining, price, declining volumes and raising prices continue this decade? And can you envision a world where cigarette volumes flatline as uh, I guess it's kind of similar to what we talked about with streaming. Like, is there, you know, will linear ever flatline in the market share kind of retain itself? Will cigarettes maybe globally or in the US ever flatline? I kind of think it's a fascinating question. I don't think so. You don't, you think, of, boom, eventually it's over. Zero.
1: Not for longer than like a three-year period. The, I mean, we saw some sort of flatline through COVID, but the-
0: yeah, right. That that doesn't count to me. Yeah.
1: And you showed the last I think it was 10 years, something like that. These cigarette volumes have been declining for like the last 30 years. I think if you would have you could have said at any point during that our wood volumes flatline, I think the, the future is probably gonna look a lot like the last 30 years, at least the next 10 years. And there's so many other Alternatives now to cigarettes that, uh, no, I, I just don't see a scenario where they flatline for like a five year period. That just doesn't seem likely. Do I think the trend
2: can continue financially? To a certain point, maybe. But I think the better question is what would you pay? What's the right price to pay for a business?
1: that's almost like what's the terminal value like uh, ima- imagine there wasn't any other investments here
0: well the terminal the terminal value of everything is zero so imagine this is only the cigarette
1: business and you know volumes decline by 5% they raise ten- prices by 10% each year i'm I'm just throwing rough numbers out there mm-hmm. which exasperates the decline further because you continue to raise prices to a certain point can they do that for 10, 15 more years? Are people going to be paying $70 for a pack of cigarettes?
0: Well, I don't to, think to they're, re- they're not paying replace? that much right now. And I, Marlboro is nine bucks where we are. I don't, so I, I think they could raise it to 20 over the next decade. Wouldn't be, I wouldn't be shocked.
2: What is that? Annual, annual increases. What is that? Probably like 7% a year.
0: No clue, but sounds price about right.
1: Yeah, they could, but I think they're going to lose customers along the way. Not only from them literally dying, but I think there's so many alternatives now.
0: Yeah, I think. It, look, that makes sense, but that was the bear case 15 years ago too. <laughs> so it's like, dang, could You know, yeah, that's
1: why I asked what's I mean, the right, and it makes what's sense, the right yeah. price for it? Because if they're going to pay you out. a year in pure cash dividends that might be worth it. If you think this thing ships, no cigarettes in 10 years or is shipping half the volume that it is
2: now. If they're shipping that 10% dividend.
0: Yeah. If they're shipping half the volume that they are now, revenue could be flat and operating income could be up. I wouldn't be surprised, which is interesting.
2: Then I would say 10 times,
1: 10 times operating income is the right, yeah. fair price to pay. If you think volumes will be half of what they are and operating income will be exactly where it is today in 10 years. I guess it depends what kind of return you want, but.
0: It also depends if you're in a taxable account or not, since a lot of this is, di- excuse me, dividends. Uh, yeah, it's also interesting with their, uh, what should we call it? The non-cigarette stuff that's growing in volumes, it's not nearly as big, but it will be interesting to see what, what, what they can do with the pouches, because will that get, as a percentage of cigarette volumes, could it get to 10%? Is it going to get to 20%? I think that's a huge question for the durability of this business.
1: Well, if it doesn't have to grow in order to grow as a percentage of
2: cigarette volumes.
0: Well, that's right. Yeah. But I'm talking about replacing their revenue. Cause it's not nowhere near the size yet to replace their revenue or maybe even earnings, but it, it could get there soon, but that's a harder bet to make because you're betting on really fast growth.
1: I would much rather, own, I hate talking about the entire can or the entire tobacco space or anything within nicotine, because it just frustrates me that we had such a gem in the Swedish match.
0: The Philip Morris stole it. Yeah. Um, Philip Morris international for anyone
2: confused. I would be a little s a little more scared owning
1: I think anything that didn't have a really prominent profitable alternative to cigarettes in their portfolio. So um the one that I I mean it's Philip Morris International now that's got um Zinn, right? So
0: Yeah, plus uh I forget the name of the other thing that's very popular as well. I forget. Uh, jewel heat not, vape, whatever. No, no. A heat not burn thing. Plus. Blue? Uh, Is that the thing? No. IQOS. Remember that thing? Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. I forgot what the numbers are on that, but apparently that's doing well too. All right. Let's move on to the next topic as we got 15 minutes left. Sometimes these go quickly. It's okay. Kinda, a couple of things I
2: found interesting. Um,
1: Roku, there was like this report that came out that they are apparently by far the number one way people choose to cut the cord. Um So there was like some survey, which I know we're survey haters, but cord cutter news surveyed 2000 people basically asking, how did you cut the cord?
2: Most of them said Roku. Um, the second, which was like half
1: of as many, uh, Basically, Roku was twice as popular of a choice as Fire TV. Um,
0: that, yeah, like, those negative 30% gross margins, they they gotta they gotta count for something when you sell the stuff at such a loss.
1: That's what that's what blows my mind. It's like I go back and forth probably I would say two or three times a year and think this could be a huge business, it could be the operating system of the CTV world
2: or it could be completely irrelevant and they hold no power.
0: Yeah. Like I I saw a chart the other day that their account growth has still been really solid, right? I think they passed 70 million accounts. Then on the other hand, I see them having zero negotiating leverage with YouTube and YouTube's talking about having streaming channels within the YouTube app on CTV and the ad supported ones and then having the ability to buy streaming channels within the YouTube app and kind of making the YouTube app the home you know the home screen and I think, okay, Roku's gonna have a tough time competing with that as they try to monetize their advertising business, build up the Roku channel, which is in a really tough place competitively versus YouTube. So I see that and I'm like, okay, they're growing accounts great. but we're, we're there's It's they're not playing a very easy game, so there's like a path for them winning and being a good business. But why play like why buy Roku over and again, some people might be morally against this, but why would you buy Roku over Altria at an 8.5% dividend yield? It just doesn't make sense, obviously, at the right price, right? Morals, morals, (laughs) morals is fair, but say Altria or anything equivalent to that, that's way more durable. Why would you buy that? At when Roku's not training at a dirt cheap multiple.
2: Yeah, I don't know. It's a tough one. Um, other things,
1: interactive brokerage reported earnings crushed it, I would say. Net interest income basically doubled year over year. Um, so good for them. Luis, we just had on Luis Sanchez um, who basically gave a wonderful pitch for why it's going to be a, a much better a good investment over the next few years. And uh, I think that's playing out exactly as he said. So
0: part of it wasn't that interesting. And for reference that is interactive brokers, IBKR, it should be like four shows older than this on the podcast feed.
1: Yeah. Other things I read, I'm doing a little, this is a little pledge to myself. I'm, I'm studying it publicly here. So that I stick to it. I'm, my goal is to read one book every two weeks. That's Just good. One book every two weeks. A that's A personal doable. goal for me.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, it's it
1: should be doable um, as long as I don't. It's it's gonna it's gonna push me towards shorter books, but it's,
0: you should say yeah, yeah. We got to set a band three hundred pages to six hundred pages, six hundred page max.
1: Yeah, I don't want to be re- snowball and Titan might slow me down. Good uh, thing those are in the past. But anyway, um, Last Man Standing I read, which is a biography from. I don't have the name here, but it's a biography on Jamie Dimon, essentially, in his career. And I will say it was a really good book. I recommend reading it. Uh, It's an interesting sort of tale through banking. And for one, it's fascinating on Jamie Dimon because he's a pretty – I found it to be pretty remarkable. Obviously, that's kind of the point of the book. But it also gives a really good illustration of the culture inside the big banks, and how much management bases their performance on whether or not it's better than peers, which provides – I mean, every – like it was like every year they were like, what was our return on equity versus Bank of America's or Bear Stearns or Goldman's or Morgan Stanley's? That's, they, they literally rank themselves and then they determine whether or not it was a good job. I think Jamie Dimon did a little less so, but – it sets up these horrible incentives. And you saw this before 2008, where people take insane risks to be competitors in terms of return on equity. Um, And some of the companies that were juicing their ROE in 2005 and 2006, and even 2007, uh, were um, non-existent in two years after. So it, it kind of concerned me in looking in wanting to invest in big banks because there's so much in there that the outside investor doesn't know exists
0: yeah i kind of like bank of america because i've had like i've had an account with them for so long i'm always like oh i should switch i never have <laughs> and i, can, I but I, to your point the investment banking side for them or anything else besides their consumer banking side I i it's just such a black box. I'll let I'll let Buffett own it.
2: Yeah, it is uh like I I have no idea what's in the derivative segment of any of
1: those businesses. And I mean even Diamond they were better positioned in oh eight, but they weren't immune to it either. Like they had a lot of mortgage exposure too.
0: They were um, so the yeah, right what what they say they were they weren't going to collapse. They took a bailout, but they weren't going to collapse, but it was going to be terrible for them either way.
2: Yeah. Um, They didn't need the money, uh, but they took it because it would have been stupid probably not to if everyone else was taking it. Um, And I don't, I mean, there was, they were able to, there were
1: banks and I can't remember specific one that did it. So they acquired Bear Stearns after Bear Stearns bought a bunch of exposure to the mortgage market. But I think Morgan Stanley was the one where the management was literally loading up, like tripling down on their mortgage bets in 07.
0: Mm. Well, and Goldman and JP Morgan were getting out, selling it to them.
1: <laughs> yeah. Ugh. I know, J- yeah. JP Morgan so slowly got out, but it affected. I mean, it had ripple effects across all the credit markets. I don't know. I, I mean, I did, I came away with a lot of admiration for Jamie Dimon.
0: It's a tough um, industry, though. It's a tough industry, and they've been the top dog for so long that there's got to be something strangely special there. But it's just such a tough industry that you know, right? Isn't that makes? Doesn't that make sense?
1: Yeah. It's, it's also. Weird. I mean. It's Yeah, it's hard not to compare yourself to all the other banks when you're a big bank, but it just creates some bad incentives. Anyway, it, the, a, incentive,
0: uh, the incentives for the employees they're attracting as well probably leads to that. It's kind of a self-fulfilling cycle.
1: Anyway, so this is my pledge, my public pledge for anyone listening. I will come back every two weeks with well, a <laughs> five-minute book report on uh,
0: One bullet point on in the document random. here. One bullet point in the document. What's the what are you reading right now?
1: I started a new one called American Rascal. Um, it's about some guy, uh Rockefeller and Vanderbilt, I think, called him like the smartest man they knew. And it was some like financier in the eighteen seventies. Oh, James he may have been a crook. Jay James, Gould is his name. Oh, Jay
0: Gould, not James Hill. James Jay Gould. Yeah. Okay. Fun one.
1: He may have been a crook, may have been brilliant. I'm really not sure. They don't really disclose it until the end. I don't think so. Maybe I'll, I'll learn more about it. But he's a very secretive guy. It sounds like. Um, but I like reading those books that are based in like the late 1800s to early 1900s because it makes me appreciate like, you know, having like clean water and stuff, and not having like all my siblings die from like simple illnesses. Um,
0: yeah it sounded
1: awful. Yeah. So it gives me a newfound appreciation, but anyway, any other, uh,
0: well, did you see, points. I was in a bit of a conundrum. I don't want to call it a conundrum, but a, I kind of played myself. I did a, you I don't know. You of, may you kind I, of cut
1: out there for a second, but what did you oh, say? Oh,
0: I cut out, um, slightly.
2: Okay. Maybe, well,
1: maybe that's just on my end, but you, yeah. you played yourself. Okay.
0: So you, did you see the fake Buffett quote I tweeted? Yeah. yeah. So I said, just because, as a play on uh, when Tesla cut prices and people like to compare it to being one of the best businesses in the world, uh, there's the Buffett quote that he, the real one, what he said is essentially a good business is one that can raise prices and not have to, what do they call, it, hold their nose? What does he say, hold their nose? Oh, go through a prayer session beforehand. So basically, Coca Cola. Hershey, whatever. He raised prices willy-nilly. But I flipped it as a parody quote, and I thought everyone would understand this. <laughs> right when Tesla cut prices by 20%, I said, quote, a good business is the one that cuts prices by 20% and makes it up in volume. Warren Buffett. Maybe I should have said Warren Buffet to make it clear that it wasn't him. Uh, but it so didn't go like viral or anything, but it's probably the most popular tweet I've had in a long time, where it says here like over 100,000 views. And the majority were Tesla fans that took it as a serious quote and said, Berkshire's about to buy load up on a stick, rocket ship, rocket ship, rocket ship, hashtag Tesla. This thing's, you know, whatever. I was just constantly playing my feet. And I thought like, wow, they should just start playing the Curb Your Enthusiasm music in the background for me because I thought it was pretty clear that that's a fake quote. <laughs> but it. People it, bought it, was, it. It, was, it was funny either way. Yeah, it felt it felt good, I got to say, selfishly to trick uh, the Tesla bulls like that, but I thought people would just be clear yeah, that it's not, not a good thing to do.
1: <laughs> we're three minutes from this being done, and we haven't talked about Tesla, um, but I don't know. Maybe we should have like a, a Tesla alarm or something whenever we have some way. We should snap a rubber band on our wrist every time we talk about Tesla because… <laughs> can't seem to not do it. No tech layoffs, no Tesla. But since we already started went went down this rabbit hole. Yeah. I I find it ridiculous. The people that are saying like, this was a strategic poker move. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. This is, it might, it may have been the right thing to do, but lowering prices is not uh some strategic poker move to gain market share
0: yeah, it's, yeah they
1: need to sell more cars the The other thing I hate when people quote e v s in market share like this is to get out ahead in market share, like this isn't enterprise software, you can switch cars, yeah, I know like there's no is there really a first mover advantage here
0: yeah we'll see hey look yeah i i uh before, yeah, I want to do one thing here. We won't have time to talk about it, but yeah, I think they report earnings next week. I hope maybe it's before the show or after, so we can save a real. We'll go through the actual report and see the numbers. But here's one. Uh, I don't know if you want to load up the chart, but it shows TikTok growth in the US, user growth has stagnated, and year over year growth is actually 0% and will likely, if the trend continues, go negative. What do you think? What do you think about it?
2: I that? would say long reels and long YouTube shorts. You think that's a competitive thing or what?
0: I kind of, well, well we're, we're about to record on meta and I kind of want to look at, uh, I tested out YouTube shorts again. I, I got, it kind of made me like those things are psychotic. Um, I, I don't, I, I, it's scary. I, I never want to start using those things. They're a bit hectic and it makes, it, 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 I can see why people have anxiety watching them. Just stop watching them guys. But, If I kind of have this thought that if all of this social media, or it's not really even social media anymore, if it's all converging onto just video, there's not really a competitive advantage for these upstart like TikTok besides being the first mover, and the platform with the users like YouTube is going to succeed because they already have two or three billion users. I I kind of think like if it's all this video, it's not. I think YouTube is going to win. But they're probably it's not going to be a winner take all. But I think it gives them a slight advantage if it's just if it has nothing to do with the friends you have. It's just videos.
1: Maybe yeah. The other part that's worth mentioning is they got to a billion users faster than any platform ever. So I think it was inevitable that growth was going to
0: slow quicker. But yeah, it was a blessing and a curse. Yeah.
1: Um.
2: Yeah, I wonder if growing too fast is like the kiss of death where
0: hundred percent agree yeah.
2: you've got i
1: mean what was the clubhouse if you if you grow too quickly everyone will copy you
0: you're gonna get competition from all sides look at roblox just durable steady growth yeah pandemic was quick but just durable steady growth there i think i think durable growth is the way to go which
1: spotify even too
0: Spotify, Netflix. Yeah. I, uh, the smart investors already know this, but I think durable growth is it, it is where it's at. All right. That's going to do it for this episode, guys. The people that tuned in, thank you. I know we had one guy who left, but either way, you can watch the replays on YouTube or just continue listening to them on Spotify. Or woman. Might not or have been a guy. Guys. Uh, yeah. Although
1: majority of our listeners do tend to scheme mail. 91%
0: as the data tells us. Um, But either way, thank you everyone for listening. Check out our sponsor, Stratosphere at stratosphere.io. Fantastic platform you can try for free. Remember, we are not financial advisors. Anything we say on the show is not formal advice or recommendation. We are general partners at Arch Capital and clients may hold securities discussed in this podcast. Thank you all for listening. The show is live every Thursday. We'll see you next time.